Amen indeed. Can I encourage you to get your Bibles out? If you're at home, uh, take this moment just to focus for a bit. Get your Bibles out and turn to Romans. You'll find it in the New Testament after the Gospels and Acts. Um, and turn to Romans chapter 8. And we're looking at verse 31 to 39. Thank you, John, for reading that for us. And we're part of our sermon series called The Victory of the Cross, where we're just going to explore all the different things that Jesus achieved for us on that cross. That man dying actually changed everything. For well, he was God and he died for me and for you. And this morning, we're going to be thinking about how nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Leilani, could you bring up the um, PowerPoint? I don't know if any of you watched the funeral of uh, Prince Philip yesterday, <clears throat> but there is something, no matter what you think, that is hugely moving about seeing all those soldiers stood perfectly spaced out on that immaculate lawn in their black, their blue, their red. And seeing their heads bowed, I found it very moving in sombre tribute, in respect and sorrow. And watching that procession march to the stark beat of a drum. First I found it uncomfortable and then it just moved me, this pounding drum. It was a national moment. Of course, it was a personal moment for the dear Queen. And we continue to think of her uh, in her mid-90s now, having lost Philip. But it was also a national moment for all of us, a national memory now. Um, and our national life is marked by moments like this, isn't it? Uh, state weddings, national holidays, moments of silence, indeed state funerals. Moments of significance when, as a nation, our emotions are deeply stirred and they burn a place in our memories that last. They last a lifetime. In many ways, our own individual lives are marked by moments of significance like this as well, aren't they? If you could just bring the next slider. Indeed, for all of us, perhaps it is at the moments, like we saw yesterday, of knowing someone near the end of their life and then coming to terms with saying goodbye to them as they pass away these are often the memories that stay with us that we don't lose and the sad fact is that we're at three million deaths now nationally internationally sorry uh, across the world uh, because of covid three million people who've been lost and mourned and I know many of you will know someone um, who has died recently. Death has been something that is closer to our consciousness than perhaps in the Western society we live in, we are comfortable with. You know, there's something that deeply stirs in us mortal humans when we're confronted with the mortality that we so often try to hide and forget. We have to deal with that strange sense that things have now changed. That this person's life on earth is now finished. But our lives carry on for now. And I'm not talking, of course, about eternal life, which will go on. But this life here, this experience of the world now, it is finished for them. Yet one day we know that our life, this life on earth, will end too. 
And it's in these moments, as we reflect on mortality, that we are so often drawn to ask deep and searching questions. What is our life really all about? What's most important? What do we value? And where really is our faith? You know, I have a memory of one of the first ever hospital visits I did as a trainee minister, as a young whippersnapper. You may say, Matt, you're still a young whippersnapper. And you'd be right. I am really. Um, But I'm getting older. Sadly, I can't change it. it is what happens apparently to all of us. But I could probably remember this because actually I was really nervous. Uh, my emotions were high because I felt inadequate and scared. And I navigated myself nervously around the corners of this hospital. This was in a different church, a different context than here. And gingerly asked the staff, who I didn't really know what I was doing, whether I could visit this person. I didn't know if I was allowed. And they kind of pointed me in the right direction. And then as I turned uh you know, into the ward, I saw him. And there he was, an elderly man called Peter, who had actually been a real encouragement to me after every sermon I preached, a real encourager of a man. He was old now and he was full of years. And now he was struggling in hospital and was coming to the end of his life. So I went over sheepishly. And if I'm honest, I didn't know what to say. I mean, what do you say? The trainee minister. You're right. Well, no, no, I'm not. I'm dying. It's the answer. I mean, no one teaches you what to say in Bible college, believe it or not. And I remember also he could barely hear, which kind of made things a whole lot worse, as you can imagine, because it meant I had to shout the words that I didn't really know whether they were right or not. Are you OK? It just made it worse. But to be honest, it turned out he was really pleased to see me and really lovely and encouraging. And he put me at ease. And eventually, after a bit of a chat, I asked, can I read some scripture? And he nodded. I knew reading scripture would be a good idea. It always is, you know. Um, And I announced him that I'd chosen to read some words from Romans 8, this passage, actually, that we've read this morning. And it was at this point that he smiled especially deeply. It was a different kind of smile. And as I began to read the words from our reading today, he joined in verbatim, word for word, his face almost glowing with joy. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He knew the words, all of them. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? And as I read these words, it was as if Peter drank deeply again, not just of the words or even a truth that they kind of tried to teach, but he drank deeply of their reality. He knew it. Who then shall separate us from the love of Christ? It was as if his life had been held by this utter truth. And here was I, the next generation having the privilege of ministering to this faithful saint in his final season of life. And it was I realising just how deeply he'd grasped it and how I still needed to grasp it deeper, the significance of this truth for myself. For I am convinced, Paul writes, that nothing, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, it wouldn't be much longer until I had the privilege of speaking at Peter's funeral. And I was able to share gently, but with such deep confidence to his family that Peter was someone who knew where he was going. He knew how loved he was and he knew the one who loved him, who was with him, experiencing the fullness of that love right now. 
That's where Peter was. That's where he is. Peter had understood what is perhaps one of the deepest truths the Apostle Paul wanted us all to comprehend. The love God truly has for us. And I read it to you at the beginning and we had it in our kids talk as well. He prayed that we would be able to grasp just how enormous the love of Christ is and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with it, filled to the fullness of God. The love of God for you, the unchanging, unbreakable, deep, unfathomable, inexhaustible love of God for you this is the one thing i would love every young christian to know it's the one thing i'd love every old christian and middle-aged christian and every other christian to know it's actually the one thing i'd like every person to know it's the one thing i'd like every single person tuned in this morning to especially know again and afresh this morning you know we so often miss it we so often forget it we overlook it but we mustn't You see, even though I struggle to comprehend it myself sometimes, it's this truth, this love, that's why I do what I do. Why I'm a pastor, even though, as I said earlier, I'm convinced I'm far from qualified. And I know I'm far from perfect at it. But it's the love of God that calls me and motivates me. The love of God that calls and motivates Caris and what we saw there. It's the love of God that calls and motivates us as a church to respond in worship to who he is and to reach out to others with this extraordinary truth. It's a love I want to draw us back to today. In this moment, whoever you are, however you're feeling, and especially if you're feeling weary this morning, worn out, tired, flagging. I think many of us are. It's been a long season, friends, but I want you to realise again today that you are truly loved. You need to know that. So as we turn to this Bible passage this morning briefly, uh, I pray, God, would you reveal your love again afresh to us? This is an extraordinary passage, you know. In it, Paul starts to ask Well, he starts to dig deeper and deeper into the foundational truths of life, like we were thinking a moment ago. He begins to ask those searching questions, question after question, seven questions, in fact, in this tiny passage. You may not have realised that it's pretty much a passage of questions, but it's these searching questions which lead him to the most profound answer. What then can we say about these things? He asks first and we should immediately say, well, what things? What do you mean, Paul? When you read in the Bible, if there's a therefore, you ask, well, what is it there for? And if he says, well, what should we say about these things? Skip back and have a look. And there, it could be the verse before which talks about how we've been chosen. It could be the passages before. I think it's most likely everything he's been doing. It's a grand meta narrative of the whole story of our salvation. How even though God has made himself known to us and made his love clear, we and every generation before us have rejected him and decided to do life our own way. And even though he's been faithful, reaching out to us time and time again. And for those that had faith, blessing them, and counting them as righteous, we still turned against him. Even though he gave us the law, we all fell short. And so, even though we all deserve judgment, even though we all deserve condemnation, 
He demonstrated his love for us in coming himself in person and taking the judgment and the mess upon himself so that we might be saved. And now all who have faith in Jesus, Paul says, are considered right before God. Because Jesus died, we are forgiven. Because Jesus rose again, we have new life filled with his Holy Spirit, eternal life. And finally, we can live a life of fruitfulness and blessing, not now, not just now, but for all eternity. And, you know, it's a life of blessing in relationship with God. God as our father and us as his adopted children. What then shall we say about all these things, Paul asked? Well, hallelujah might be a wonderful start. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. But now Paul continues. The energy and passion in his writing is extraordinary. As he asks question after question, these questions are not just rhetorical. They have very real answers. If God is for us, then who can be against us? No one. If he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, oh, how will he not also along with him give us all things? Well, he will. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? No one. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Who then shall separate us from the love of God? No one and no thing. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, never, Paul says. And finally, he comes to this booming answer, the most profound answer of all the great crescendo of the gospel. I am convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Nothing at all. And it's this life-changing access to the reality, the presence of God's love for us that's not just a sideshow of the gospel. It's not just a sweetener, an added bonus to sweeten the deal. No, it's at the very heart of what Jesus won for us, his victory on that cross. For the love that God has for me and for you, it's not incidental, but it's the deepest reality any of us could ever know and experience. God is love. You see, God's love is the reality that expands, expands the entire length of all history, not all eternity. From the very beginning, God was love. For all eternity, God is love and here's the wonder paul rejoices in at the beginning of this passage this love of god as he declares he is for us not against us this is perhaps one of the very greatest revelations a tiny mortal human being like you and i can ever get our heads around god is not unkind he's not far away he's not strict and cross and authoritarian god is not just for other people he is for me and he is for you he always has been and he always will be the bible says he knows us he understands us he knows our frame he knows our weaknesses he knows our human fallibility he knows when we rise and when we lie down and even though he knows everything about us he loves us the one who knows you best loves you most his love for us is deeper than we could ever know and you see this Love is at the centre of who he is. 
We were chewing over the word hesed. It's a Hebrew word for love used in the Old Testament. And Ali wrote a fantastic uh, brief article on it at the beginning of last week's email. Go back and have a look if you haven't. But we were exploring its meaning as steadfast and faithful love. You know, when Moses said, Lord, show yourself, reveal who are you? God chose to walk by him and declare the Lord, the Lord, the merciful and gracious, slow to anger and rich in love, rich in chesed. Abounding in faithful, steadfast love. This is who I am. And we see it all through the Old Testament where time and time again his people reject him. Yet, Hesed. His people fight him and hurt one another. And yet, Hesed. His people suffer and run after folly and foreign gods. And yet, Hesed. Abraham, Noah, Saul. David, Solomon, Hesed, 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 over and over God's faithful love for his people never gives up because it is who he is. It is his very nature. And so the unfathomable conclusion as we read the Old Testament is that the Lord of all eternity, the maker of heaven and earth, the judge of all things is for us who he made. He's not against us. Hear that this morning. He is for you. He is not against you and Paul asks if God is for us then who can be against us if you could bring that verse up Leilani it's the next slide now don't get me wrong God is not mocked he's not weak he's not insipid he's not nicey nicey towards everything oh well you know he's not Sergeant Wilson if you've seen dad's army he's not somehow you know hello old dear old chap you know I'm just awfully nice to everyone you know he's not like that You know, he's the righteous judge of all and his holiness burns against all that is evil and wrong and corrupt. He stands squarely against injustice. He fights against it. He cannot overlook the devastation of sin. His wrath is against the enemy who seeks to kill and steal and destroy. His judgment stands against the deliberately proud, the exploiters, the harmers, the abusers and evildoers. Read the scriptures. God is no sloppy, soppy, wet lettuce. And yet, to the weary, lowly sinner who comes in humility, no matter what you've done, where you've been, who you are, whatever bed you've slept in, whatever mess you've walked in, when you come to the Lord of all, you will find that the Lord is for you. He is for you and he always has been and he loves you. That is who he is. And that's how he regards you. The truth of this is witnessed throughout the Old Testament as God's faithful chesed, his faithful love is shown time and time again. But even with all this revelation of who God is, we could never have imagined the true depth of his love for us. Paul simply puts it this way in chapter five. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us us the apostle john writes about it like this this is how god showed his love among us he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him this is love not that we loved god but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins you see hesed is not just faithful love It's also a love that moves to action. 
Jesus said, no greater love is anyone than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And the whole of eternity has never witnessed love like the moment that the eternal and perfect and beautiful son of God himself chose to suffer and lay down his life to die for a world that he made. The world that rejected him. But the world that he so loved. God was so for us and is so for us that he went to that cross and suffered and bled and died in our place. And all creation could barely contain the moment, the moment where the one in whom all things were made gave it all up for us. You see, we'll never understand the full depth of his love. It is the deepest reality of all. All Paul can do is simply ask, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? And our humbled and our awed and our heartfelt answer is yes, he will. In the kingdom we will receive all things, all joy, all peace, all healing, all wonder and celebration. And we have now begun to taste those things in this life and we have received all things attaining to our salvation, all totally undeserved, but lavished upon us because we're loved. Friends, our sin is deep, but God's love for us is deeper, far deeper. When we look at the cross, we see his heart, his heart for the world, his heart for the lost, his heart for the sinner, the broken, his heart for us. We see his love and there is no deeper reality than the eternal love of God. And this love is also I want you to realise this morning the safest refuge that any human being can know. You know, many of us need to hear this again this morning. His love is the place we need to run to today. His love is the place we need to run to. You need to. I need to today. Now, this morning. But dwelling in his love is the place we find true shelter from the storms around us. Dwelling in his love is a place that we are healed where we realise again the truth of who he is and who we really are in him. It is the place where our relationship with him is renewed, where our lives are given true meaning, where our ministries are resourced, where our flagging energies are recovered, our weary spirits revived. His love is the green pasture, the still waters, the place of restoration for our soul. God is our refuge and our place of safety. He will cover you with his feathers, the psalmist writes. He will shelter you with his wings. And friends, this safest refuge is always available, no matter what you're going through. Because now nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. You see, sin has always been the charge that separated us from knowing and living in that love that God has always had for us. Sin and pride and deceit and mess, all of us recognise it. It's the wall that separates us. It always has done. The wall between us is our sin. We are in sin. He is in holiness and perfection. And it's a wall we could do nothing about. A wall which reminds us that we are lost without him. That death reigns over us and our way. But now because of Jesus, this wall is gone. For all who put their faith in him, there was certainly a charge against me. 
And there will certainly have been one against you, but because of the cross, because of his victory over our sin and all sin, it is now gone. Friends, if you have not turned to Jesus yet this morning, if you have not realized his love for you is more wonderful than you could ever comprehend, if you've not given your heart for him the truth, to him the truth is the wall still stands. It does the same for all of us. God loves you more than you could ever know, but the wall stands. The charge against you still stands. No matter how good you are, no matter how many kind things you do, people try and earn God's acceptance and his love. You can't earn his love. He's already got it for you more than you could ever know. But the wall stands and you cannot remove the wall. None of it does. And yet the moment we turn to Jesus and realize that he's the one who's paid our debt, taken our condemnation, the wall comes crashing down. The charge of, that is over us is declared paid for, done, settled, gone. And the reality of God's love for us comes flooding into our lives. We are forgiven and set free. Who will bring a charge against those whom God has chosen? No one, Paul declares. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ died under my condemnation and yours. He took our charge, our accusation. And now, more than this, he came back to life and he's rooting in heaven for us. Paul says he's interceding for us. He's saying to the Father, these are in me. This one's in me. Let's bless them, Father. And you know, when we still mess it up, we still make mistakes. And the accuser comes and says, you see, you're sinful, you're rubbish, you're far from God. Jesus says, no, I've taken that charge. As we come to him in humility and repentance, he says, I've taken that. I've paid that one. This one's with me. You're forgiven. That's gone. Who then shall separate us from the love of Christ? No one. No one and no thing can separate us because God will never let it. It's not that things won't try. Paul names some that might trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. You see, Paul isn't embarrassed by the struggles we have. He doesn't try and hide them away and make a theology that says, once you know God, everything's easy. No, he says it's part of prophecy. God always said it wouldn't be easy. There are many things in this life that try to drive a wedge between you and God's love. Many times they can feel genuinely overwhelming for us. And you'll recognize that as well as I will. They can f- cause us to feel far from God, exhausted, bewildered, tired, broken, washed up. Sometimes it can feel like we've managed to wonder, somehow lose the affection of God for us. In fact, there are times for all of us in our Christian walk where we feel far from God. And maybe you do this morning. So is it not true, Matt? Can some things actually separate us from the love of God? I want to say to you, no, no, they can't. Let me read this. As Oswald Chambers so beautifully put it, Paul here is speaking of the things that might seem likely to separate or wedge in between the saint and the love of God. But the remarkable thing is that nothing can wedge in between the love of God and the saint. These things can and do come in between the devotional exercises of our soul and God. But none of them is able to wedge in between the love of God. And the soul of the same. The bedrock of our Christian faith is the unmerited, fathomless marvel of the love of God exhibited on the cross of Calvary. A love we never can and never shall 
merit. Friends, the love of God is always available to you. It is available to you now in this season. Hear that this morning. It is the safest refuge because it cannot be lost. It cannot be taken. There is no fear of invaders. Nothing can separate you from it. Can death? No. Can life and my mess up of it? No. Can angels, the highest spiritual beings in heaven? No. Can demons, the best efforts of the enemy? No. The present, what's going on around us all today, the coronavirus situation, how we're feeling? No. The difficulties you're facing right now? No, no, no. The future, some mistake, some error, some cataclysm, some catastrophe? No. Time is in his hands. Any powers at all, anything, can mental health and struggles and sin and shame and fear and doubt and worry and anxiety and mistakes? No, 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 no. Nothing, not height, not depth, not anything in all creation. Nothing, either spiritual or physical, mental, emotional, will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wow. His love is higher and deeper and stronger. It is the deepest reality and it is the safest refuge. But finally, and I want to finish with this, I want you to know... This love is the foundational truth of everything. We recognise in life there are moments that cause us to ask the big questions. What is life really all about? What is this? What is the thing that makes sense of it all? And the Bible is clear. The foundational truth underpinning all things is God's love. God is love. He always has been. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, eternally dwelling in a love more perfect than we could ever comprehend. God's love is the unchanging foundational truth of all history, all reality. Without his love, there'd be no universe, no solar system, no earth, no heaven, no church, no faith, no life, no cross. From the love of God comes all things, but the love of God is the foundational truth of all things, and yet, It's also the foundational truth for why you exist and who you really are. It could not be bigger, yet incredibly it could not be more personal, could not be more beautiful or more tender a reality for every single human being. Hear it again this morning. You, you are loved. You are cherished. He delights in you. God looks at you. And he smiles the deepest smile. You bring joy to his heart because he made you. And when a little mortal human being like you and I realise this and take time to dwell in the presence and reality, the love of God for us and the journey of life ahead becomes truly possible. And so this morning I simply want to invite each of us to take a step back to our first love. Now, our first love is a Christian term that we use sometimes. Some of you might think you know what I mean, because we often say it, and we mean it's time for me to stir something up within me, my love for God. I've got to get loving him again. It's a question about what I should do. But I want you to pause that thought this morning and take a further step back to the very first love, not your love for him, his love for you and just receive this love again this morning in a moment we're just going to wait on God you 
are loved. Just receive that foundational truth this morning by the maker of all. Nothing can separate you from that love. In a moment, I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to come just for a minute or two to help us to receive a fresh realisation of his love for us as we wait together and sing. Now, sometimes we don't want to draw near. Like a child will always want to hug. I don't know if you've ever tried to hug your children. Sometimes they just squirm. You pick them up and they're busy or distracted. They want to pull away. Sometimes they perhaps feel too ashamed by what they've just done or guilty or too emotional. Don't hug me now or I'm too grown up. Sometimes they didn't realize they needed it, but they really did. Yesterday I was talking to folks outside the spring shed. My little lad Harry came over and I picked him up. And although I really didn't expect it, He just laid his head on my shoulders and for a long moment, he just received my love as I held him. And at the end, I gently whispered, I love you, Harry. And he whispered back, I love you too, Dad. It was a beautiful moment, an unexpected moment. He needed to receive my love. And I feel God's invitation for us, for each of us, is to do the same this morning, to receive his love afresh, as if he's putting his arms around you. To drink deeply of his love. In moments like this, you see, we are restored. So come, especially if you're weary and exhausted. Just quieten your heart now for a moment. If you're exhausted by your own sin, your weakness, your politics, your family, your coronavirus situation, come and sit, come and dwell in the Father's arms. Come and dwell in the presence of Jesus. And before you fret and squirm, about your own inadequate response or whether you deserve it, whether you're ready. What about other people? Stop. Quieten yourself for a moment now and just receive his invitation to dwell in his love again. You are loved. You are loved. And I believe for some of you this morning, this might be the very first time you've actually realised it. Not just as a thought or a truth to kind of believe in, But as a reality, you are loved. He utterly loves you. So receive this love this morning. I'm going to pray now as we finish. And let's just hold quiet for a minute. And then we'll finish our time together in a quieter way this morning. By just singing together such love as we sit just for a few minutes. And receive again the love of God. So let's pray. Come, precious and wonderful Holy Spirit, now I pray. Come and still our fretful minds and open our hearts to receive the love of God afresh this morning. To hear him say, you are loved, I am loved. Come Holy Spirit, we wait in the presence of the one who loves us.
he delights in you. He made you. He doesn't make mistakes. He utterly loves you. And if you've put your trust in Jesus, nothing can separate you from his love for you. Just receive that now. Like the most amazing hug you've ever received. Just stay quiet and receive more of what God wants to give to you this morning.